Welcome to another episode of Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with freelance models. And today I have an old friend that I've seen on many travels and events, Amelia Simone. Hi. So good to hear from you again, Christy. <laughs> I know. And where are you at these days? Oh, I live in Mexico. I've been here about just about four years now, this past April. Wow, that's so cool. I remember you were living in San Diego, kind of near where I was a few years back. Yeah, that's right. You know, my husband was in the Marine Corps, and so that brought us to San Diego in like 2009. So I'd been there for just over 10 years, I want to say. Wow. Just about the whole time modeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. Time just passes so fast. <laughs> For our, our guests, would you mind describing the history of your modeling and how you got into it and then where you're at now? Oh, sure. So, oh, it's so weird. I mean, people had told me when I was younger that I should model. And so I sort of took it upon myself finally when I was maybe 24. I'd seen like a Bloomingdale's or something at my grandmother's house. And I said, oh, I'm going to finally do it. And so I ended up posting an ad on Craigslist asking people to shoot with me and Jesus could that have gone bad <laughs> but it didn't I got a lot of responses and I ended up doing a few shoots and I remember falling in love with specific models like I don't think I'd known about you yet maybe we'd started around the same time I can't remember but I'd fallen in love with some like nude models their work and I was like I really want to do that so I want to say that it was maybe my third shoot in that I ended up doing like an implied nudity shoot. And then it just like went from there. And then I started traveling and doing my own work. So it's, yeah, it's just, man, I just can't believe how long it's been. I think I shot for about 11 years and I feel semi-retired right now. I'm not really actively shooting. And I think that with especially COVID, that really took things in a different direction. I'd already been a little bit tired of traveling, getting uprooted all the time. And so I decided to just sort of take a break, do my own shooting, do some remote shoots. And now I'm sort of a, a clothing reseller, not sort of, I've been doing it about five years full time. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, I'm enjoying life here in Mexico, <laughs> just digging through old clothes and, and selling stuff. That's rad. <laughs> So when you first started modeling, you said that was 11 years ago? Yeah, just about, well, I was 24. So maybe now, well, I can't say really 11, 12 years yet, because I can't say that I've been really modeling the past year. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've taken a break. I really needed it. <laughs> Understood, it especially a, with a COVID. Oh my gosh, I needed that reset. I think everybody's, yeah, not that we needed it. Okay, I can't say that it was... It's not a necessary evil, but I took it upon myself to refocus, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> so you said that when you were getting into it, you found some models who were inspirations to you who were doing nude modeling. Did you have any fears about what nude modeling is, would, how it would affect your life? Oh, gosh, yes. So, well, I grew up very religious. I grew up Jehovah's Witness. And... That was, I, I, there's a lot of guilt built into that shame around female body specifically and just expressing yourself, you know, having any attention centered on yourself. And that was definitely a huge problem for 
anybody who would might know about it, that side of the family, at least my dad's side of the family. So he still doesn't know, at least to my knowledge. And yeah, that's still not a book that's been opened. <laughs> oh, but you know, I luckily, yeah. So luckily though, I do have some very artistic minded people in my family on the other side, the side that's not very religious. So that's, you know, they're, they're just a lot more accepting or at least they haven't said anything <laughs> that would say otherwise. Yeah, that's an interesting a topic that has come up again and again on like a lot of my episodes is that models' parents are more likely to be accepting of them if they are not religious. And it's just a pattern that I've been recognizing over and over. Oh, gosh, yeah. It, it's huge. I mean, and you can, even for me, I haven't been Jehovah's Witness since I was, I, I can't say that I ever really felt like I was, but really stopped practicing when I was around 17. But you still carry that guilt. I think it's sort of part, it becomes part of your DNA a little bit. And like you, you sort of chip away at it um, and it starts to go away. It's like the iceberg, right? You have everything that you can see and then there's the stuff underneath. So yeah, but you just don't broach the subject with certain people. It's not necessarily safe territory. <laughs> Were you ever wanting to be a fashion model before you desired to be a nude model? Like, did you have a preconceived notion of what modeling was? I think that I always knew I wasn't tall enough for that. I just didn't really see it for myself. And I think I nice. really knew early on <laughs> that I hated wearing clothes when shooting. So <laughs> yeah, it never really resonated with me. And there's even a funny story about somebody who had said they'd uh, worked with a photographer who'd worked with me in the past. And when they went to work with the photographer, my name came up somehow. And the photographer made a little face and she was like, well, what? And he's like, well, you know, we were shooting and we were shooting in like some fashion or something. And he's like, she just seemed really uptight. I didn't know what was going on. And then he said, as soon as Amelia took her clothes off, she was fine. <laughs> so it seemed like, <laughs> so he's like, yeah, it was great once she was, you know, felt uninhibited and could just express herself. So, uh, yeah, I think that there are certain, certain avenues for everybody and not everything is for everyone. I don't know how to, what other way to put it. Yeah. Are, so you're, are you like five, five ish? Well, I'd like to say five, six. I want to say I try to compare myself to other five, six people, but I know you're a little bit taller than me, so I just kind of forget how tall people are. I'm just like, oh, taller than me. Because <laughs> I thought that I could be a petite fashion model when yeah, I got into it. I was like, oh, I'm going to try and, and do this petite fashion thing. I think that other people's opinions, as I was starting to do photo shoots, other people's voices were like, oh, what magazines are you in? Oh, are you doing runway? What clothing designer are you walking for? That was like all the questions that I was getting. So I was like, oh, I have to do this. I have to be like, America's Next Top Model. It's got to be like that. Right. You get that pressure from people. And like, if you even tell people I, I model or I used to model, they'll say, oh, where have I seen you before? <laughs> I'm like, well, let's hope you haven't. <laughs> In an ideal world, you wouldn't even know that I do. So I suppose unless they're already like doing photography and they have a model mayhem profile, or if they're like, on Instagram already following your work, I suppose. Right. I, exactly. It's just, you really never know. Like, I think I got recognized at an airport once, but it was by a photographer. It was really out of the blue. He's like, oh, are you Amelia Simone? I'm like, yes. 
And I think that the alarm bells went off. I'm like, oh no, that that was the moment I knew, hey, actually my work is recognized by people. <laughs> I just wanted to stay sort of below the radar. I've never wanted to be well-known or anything like that. And I mean, I just, I think it was a, who knows that it's a self-conscious type of thing where it's like, okay, dumb down things a little bit so that you can enjoy what you're doing, work with people, create, but also not have the naysayers sort of influence how you create your work or what you think about your work. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting little little thing we've chosen a little, <laughs> but I see you're just like a powerhouse. You've always been creating not only in, in shooting, but also in producing and directing. And I just remember back when we were in, I want to say Virginia, Cabin Beauties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you, you were like walking around interviewing people and stuff. I'm like, this girl, she knows what she's doing. She loves what she does. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. And I mean, I can tell that you love what you do too, but you're you're doing it in a different way because it's interesting to hear you say that you're trying to fly under the radar because in my perception, a lot of people who are doing modeling, who have presences on social media are trying to get their name out there more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because I have just so many people that that were on my dad's side that are still Jehovah's Witness that are just heavy into the very rigid dogmatic mindset, but also the high school people. Like I, I don't know that I'd want all <laughs> those people seeing my work, but of course I know they have because I I have gotten messages from like old friends and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, I saw your Instagram." I'm like, I'd like to just really. I think ignorance is bliss when it comes to things. So just shut up. Okay. So are you still like in close connection with people that you went to high school with? I'm not super close. I wouldn't say. I think I've gotten more friendships now that I've been in San Diego or in, I'm in Mexico now. But there are those people that I've been friends with since I was like two years old, two, three. And those are the friendships that I've really kept over the years. Like I think many of the high school people, they're more like associates. You see them, it's like, oh, you know, how are you doing? But it's just so hard to catch up. Yeah. Like, there's so much to catch up on. I, I, yeah, I just don't have all the energy in the world to catch up with everybody. But I hope the best for them. And of course, like, you know, everybody's friends on Facebook or social media. So you can always check in and see how they're doing. Totally. It sounds like you have a really good work-life balance where your work doesn't overtake your entire life and that you have a social life and like other areas of your life outside of modeling though that I know that you said you're mostly retired right now but it sounds like you maintained that balance when you were actively touring and stuff too you know i can't say that i'm not a workaholic and in other words i overwork myself i could say that <laughs> i do not have enough of the money making mindset right now and i think it was sort of the case when i was modeling it's like I have the friends, but there's a few friends that you can catch up with when you get a chance. But I really do work all day. I just, it's hard for me to create the balance that I need. And like I'm learning Italian right now. I'm going to be doing some traveling and I shop nearly every day. Right. <laughs> so I think that I probably need some pointers on how to create or strike that balance. I have to force myself to have fun. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that too from my perspective. I'm working on that as well. <laughs> yeah. Ew, it's tough. When I look at your photos, 
what I really like is the like calm and peaceful aesthetic. And I'm going to refer to Instagram mostly because that's, I guess, mostly where I'm looking at photos these days. And then I go to your story when you're posting actively on your story and it's these hilarious, sarcastic jokes. And I just love the, <laughs> the hilarity of that. I can tell you with 100% certainty that what you see on my Instagram stories really, really reflects who I actually am. <laughs> I think that it, like, especially when you, when we've worked together so many times, like I don't take anything seriously. I'm always laughing. Like when it's work, it's work, but I'm always thinking of some crazy thing, always just cracking up in my head. And I think that comes from like, I really did have a fun childhood and parents that like to laugh and just have fun. And I just love memes. Like, thank God for memes. I love the, memes as the well. World going, the world turning. <laughs> I get great joy in them. I do too. The more ridiculous, the better. So while you were doing active modeling, tell me about what niche of modeling you enjoyed doing the best and what you got hired for the most. Mm, okay. I'll, I'll answer the second question first. I definitely think I got hired most for boudoir. I'll say that. And what's weird is I don't feel like a boudoir model necessarily, but people were always trying to dress me up in lingerie. And I felt like that little kid that's getting dressed for school. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, don't make me. But my favorite is the figure nudes. I love doing figure nudes, really strange shapes and something expressive, something that makes you think I'm just really get bored in the simplicity of just moving from one pose to another with no meaning behind it. I can't explain that really well, but, and I, I love working in abandoned buildings. It's been so long, probably like incredibly dangerous now, but you know, all the broken glass and like the mist, the, the crazy painted walls, the rust, all of that. And it's just been so long since I've been out in those types of environments. Yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, before I fully retire, I get to do a big sort of shoot in some abandoned place. Do you think that even after you're technically fully retired that you would still do that kind of photography like for fun or that kind of modeling? I mean, I think that I've, since I've been doing so much of my own shooting myself, I probably, I wouldn't be doing it with other people too much unless they had some really cool place and said, Oh, can you come out? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've just enjoyed not shooting. <laughs> I can say that. I think it took a while to come to that realization, but I mean, it would have to be a really special place, a really special like environment for me to want to do it again. Maybe, you know, I think another country, I think that's what's calling me. I need to go somewhere outside of my comfort zone. And yeah, I don't know, but right now I'm more comfortable shooting by myself. I might do some, some remote shooting. Because I did move into my new awesome house. I just love it. I moved to TJ from Rosarito here in Baja, California in Mexico. So I'm right nearby the border and it's a really modern house. It doesn't have the feel of Mexico, but I sort of needed to get out of the environment, the other house that I was in before. It's a long story, but the roof was leaking, all kinds of issues. But I'm probably going to be doing some remote shoots here soon. I just, uh, I think that shooting in person with people started to be really emotionally draining along with being physically drained all the time. And then you add to that the travel as well, then you're jet lagged and 
Yeah. I just got sick of being uprooted all the time. So we'll, we'll have to figure out whether, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to get that spark again. Like I did. It's still innocent. <laughs> I fully understand what you mean when you say that a lot of shoots can be emotionally draining. But for the listeners who haven't done full-time traveling modeling, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I think that, okay, so I think for models, we're not only moving our bodies, but we're also playing therapist. Because if you really think about it, some of the guys, I mean, if they're hiring you, some of them looking for companionship. They want to be around somebody, want to talk, want to connect. And it can, you could start feeling like a therapist, feeling like you're acting, feeling like you're playing this part. And so when you're having to, and when, when you get any downtime, it's like, you just really need that time. And I think that they feel like you always have to be on like, oh, where are you? What you doing? Where the, you know, like, ah, oh, no, I just really need my private time. I need to be by myself and to just decompress. And that decompression, it just feels like it never comes when you're on a, a work, a modeling trip. You're always on and you're like, oh, I have like four or five hours before I have to wake up, but then I got to do it again. And yeah, you know, you just, you just get the, I don't know, it just feel run down. I felt run down all the time. I don't think the physical aspect was as, as tough as the emotional. I don't know that maybe it's, is emotional the right word? Do you think? What do you feel? Is that? No, I think it's the right word. I feel the same way. I definitely feel the same way, especially when you're being hosted by somebody, even if it's a fellow model, because if you've done a bunch of shoots throughout the day, you've been talking to people all day about their feelings and about their family and stuff like that, then you get back and you just don't want to talk to anybody. And if you're staying with, at somebody else's house, regardless of who it is, they're going to want to talk to you about your day. And Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And there's nothing you would, wouldn't rather do. It's like, no, you need to uh, go ahead and leave me alone. <laughs> and not only do yeah. I need time, but like I need time before bed. I don't want to, you know, just get, get into my room and I can't fall asleep in 10 minutes. I need like hours before I go to bed, my ritual, whatever, <laughs> just time yeah. to be. And you could get a hotel or an Airbnb, but that would like massively cut into your profit. So it's kind of like this balancing act of how much profit do I want to make versus how peaceful of a trip do I want to have? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd be like, you know, sometimes when I'd be hosted, I'd be like, huh, I wonder when they go to work. I wonder if we could just like be taking turns being back and, you know, like they'd be gone while I'm at their house <laughs> and then I'd be gone and I'd never see him. So that'd be ideal. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One activity that I found that I really enjoyed if I was, you know, at a hotel or whatever, if I had a moment by myself where I was at my place that I was staying, I really enjoyed going into my room or in the bathroom and locking the door, taking my pants off and counting my money. <laughs> It helped me finish the trip. Oh my God. Yes. That would help. Oh, and you know, I can tell you the flip side when you get paid before a trip and you get like they pay you before you even get out there, you feel like you didn't even get paid at the end of the shoot. You're like, hold up. Like, it didn't feel like that was worth it now that I got, but like, I've had that money for months. So why don't we go ahead and just pay me again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you want the reward at the end. You want to be able to count it later to like feel good about all the time that you just spent. Oh, exactly. 
Yeah. It's a weird mental trip. Yeah. With that being said, of all the emotional drainage and like the photographers that the ones that seem like they're more of a drag, there's a section of my podcast that I like to call the photo shoot fail of the week. Can you describe a scenario where you had a photo shoot that was like just crazy, either because the scenario surrounding the shoot was crazy or the photographer themselves was out of line? Okay. You know, I will say this. I don't know that any specific photo shoot sticks out in that way, (laughs) but I can say a trip that turned into just like complete Twilight Zone nightmare. Yeah. You share that one. (laughs) So Cabin Beauties. Oh God. Yes. (laughs) Which not, not the, uh, it didn't have to do with the organizers or anybody there. But I had a trip going out there one time. I can't remember what year it was, but uh, everything went wrong. I got to the airport because I was flying out of San Diego, going into Maryland. The flight was going to connect in Texas, I want to say. And then the flight got delayed by an hour. So I wasn't going to make my connection. At that time, I was smoking cigarettes, I think. So I was like, I'm leaving this airport. I'm going outside. I'm going to have a cigarette. And then I'll figure out what's going on. So I come back inside. They tell me they've changed my flight without me knowing. And they said, oh, yeah, we put you in, uh, you're going to be connecting in Denver. And I said, okay, well, that means I'm not going to be able to even make my trip. So what the hell? So then they had to, they were going to refund me. And so the guy automatically put the refund through. And then I realized that's going to my PayPal account, which I can't use those funds right away. So I'm going to have to come out of pocket for this flight, which was 400 bucks. And it just, it spiraled from there. What ended up happening, they end up putting me on a red-eye flight that night. So I go back home, I come back, I go on the red-eye. I think I connected in maybe Newark Airport at like 5 a.m. that morning. And I was just like, this is this doesn't get worse. Well, it does. <laughs> I get to the airport. I'm waiting for my bag. You know, I'm thinking, I'm like, I've got, a, I've got like four shoots today. Even before I get to Cabin Beauties, I was doing some hotel shoots. And uh, I'm waiting for my bag. My bag never gets there. Oh, my God. And they said, oh, we're going to send. <laughs> yeah, they said, we're going to send your bag to the hotel once it gets in. And I said, okay, I get to the hotel. I have no makeup. I have no clothes. I thank God I had a charger, but I had food, all kinds of stuff in my bag. Well, my bag never gets there. I think I ended up leaving that. I think I was like a two-hour drive over to the the property at Cabin Beauties. I get there. Bag isn't there. I think it was hot as shit in that cabin too. And it was like, I had a fan packed that wasn't there. Long story short, somebody took me to Walmart. I got some makeup because I had no makeup. And I get a call the last day of Cabin Beauties and they say, oh, we have your bag. And I was like, oh, hooray. God, Jesus. (laughs) Like, oh, that's so helpful. And I get back to Maryland Airport. Uh, One of the, I can't remember what airport it was. I get back and they have my bag. And I'm literally five minutes before I had to board for my flight back to San Diego. I look at my bag and I see that it says, what did it say? It said security checked at Nazir International Airport. I'm like, what? What airport is that? Where did my bag go? And I think I looked it up and it was, I think it went to the Maldives. I think that's where the airport is. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, it doesn't end there. I, you know, I take my flight back to San Diego and I'm home and everything. I start unpacking my bags and I'd had like, I had fresh fruit in there. 
I had some like body creams, you know, almonds types of stuff. Somebody had taken like the cream that was in my bag and the almonds and with the cream had spread the almonds all over my clothes. So I had almonds stuck to everything. Oh my God. (laughs) Adding insult to injury. Yeah. I'm like, well, and I'm thinking to myself, is this like, uh, was this a customs thing? Like they really don't like if you have fresh almonds in your bag. It was a bizarre trip. I just was so happy for it to end. I think I remember which year at Cabin Beauties that was. I want to say it was like 2014 or 15. Yes. Yes. And is that the one where that one guy got kicked out for being just totally weird? (laughs) Yeah, he was crouching in the bushes. (laughs) He was doing photo shoots against everybody's will, I think. Nobody knew he was shooting with them. Yeah, I I actually have an additional story about that guy that you might not know about, but it's worth telling. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... That that photographer, I think his name was like Donald or something like that. He met me at Nudes a Poppin like two years prior, which is like for people who don't know what that is, it's a big nudist event. And he met me there apparently and started following me on Tumblr or something and saw that I was going to Cabin Beauties. And I didn't know him from Adam. He said he was signed up for the event and he wanted to shoot with me for a full day after the event also for a full day. And I was like, okay, well, I have to be in this other city three hours from Cabin Duties two days after. Is it okay if like you drop me off where I need to go? So he was my ride and he was going to be paying me for a full day of work after Cabin Duties. So I was like, just trusting that the event organizer had checked references on people that signed up and we get to the event and this guy for people who weren't there he looked like mr burns from the simpsons was it the simpsons or he's like really tall and hunched over he had really scary toenails and he didn't have a professional camera he just had like a point and shoot like something that you would take to disneyland and it's really hard to describe without sounding like completely judgmental but the vibe that he gave off was like you know what I mean? Like, I know that he did yeah. like a one-on-one shoot with you and you were weirded out by him. I think I remember this whole interaction. I must have a really selective memory. I don't remember. You said that he kept on telling you to straighten your head out. He didn't want you to tilt your head at all. And he was doing that. And he was zooming in on people's crotches when they were modeling for other people and, and taking explicit photos without consent. And multiple people complained about him. He got kicked out of the event. So I was booked to work with him the following day. And I was freaked out because I was like, oh, this guy, he might be like kidnapping me or he might just be totally weird. Like, I feel cringy. I kind of need the money. I kind of need the ride. I don't know what to do. I was sharing a room with Kira Floofy and I told her about it. No, I didn't tell her about it. She was dropping me off at the hotel area where he was because I was going to go with him the next day. And as she's dropping me off, he's standing outside my hotel room like, aggressively like are we still on are we still on and Kira was like you're not gonna go with that guy are you and I was like uh and she was like we need to talk and Kira saved me she gave me a ride and we hung out and long story short I just (laughs) thought that story would be relevant but it was just one of those weird things where I'm glad that I have friends in the community that like were worried about me because I was 
worried about myself, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you listen to that gut feeling sometimes. I mean, not sometimes, all the time. And when it tells you that something's wrong, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, and they're not just, the weirdos aren't just a little weird. There's not, it's not like a little bit of quirk. It's like, uh, how have you functioned in society? Weird type. Yeah. So it, it, it throws you for a loop. Yeah. He, it was too much of a wild card for me, but I was still in that time of my life where I felt, even though I was getting more into a community of people, I felt like I still had to like fend for myself and pay my own bills and like, you know, follow through with the gigs that I had booked. And I just trusted that this person was going to be a good person to work with because he said he would give me a ride and book me for the full day. And I was like, oh shit. But in the end, sometimes other people care more about your safety than you care about your own safety, especially when you're alone traveling for nude modeling. Right. And like you said, it's like, you don't want to cancel on people, especially when you're new or you just like, you're trying to make a name for yourself. And like, I think you, I think with modeling, you just really get a crash course in so many different personalities, like learning that people don't have your best interest at heart. And on the flip side, like what you said, the models that know a lot and can help you vet people, those have been invaluable. And especially like just having a large community of models that all talk about people all, you know, can talk from experience of how their experience has been with those people. It's just really helpful. You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you grew up Jehovah's Witness, really religious. As I also was raised religious, I wanted to ask you something about this. Because when you're raised in that environment, you know, assuming you're going to church and you're in this community that's kind of closed off from the outside world, did you feel that once you started finding out what the real world was like, that that's when you started realizing, oh, like not everybody actually wants to be a good, nice person. Like I'm not part of this closed community anymore. Like this is the real world. And with, like you said, with photographers, there's different personalities, different motivations, and you learn a lot the hard way. Did you feel that from your upbringing until, you know, becoming a full-time traveling model, that that was what taught you? Yes. Oh, it's funny you should say that because I don't think that I've talked to many people that have had the same experience. Um, it was, like you said, a close community of people and like really good people, though, like, I don't believe in what they believe in. I do really value that, uh, that the respect and everything that came with being raised that was the way I was raised and just really, really beautiful spirits, like beautiful people. Jehovah's Witnesses, I'll say. But yeah, when I got into the world, I think that it's like like a baby giraffe. I, I just think of that baby like fumbling everywhere once they're born. That's what I felt like. It's like, oh, but I, I I don't know what to do. I don't, I'm learning how to walk in a way. And it just felt like, I think that I th thought everybody had my best interests at heart or that everybody was kind to one another, that I received the same respect that I gave to others and man, you, yeah, you get that crash course. You start realizing how many people are just not there for you, but also like how many people are there for you. I've built so many friendships and like really valued friendships with photographers and like learning about their lives and just caring about them and their families too. So it's been like, I don't, I feel like they're family, you know, you build these little clans as you get older. And, and throughout your life that just they mean something to you and 
I don't know. I'll take that to my grave in a way, not into my grave. I don't know. I'll take that with me as I get older and just think about them. And like, every time I hear somebody pass away, I'm like, man, that was a, that was somebody I worked with. Like, I really liked that person. They were awesome. You know, we had really good talks. We connected, you learn all these connections and I don't know, kindred spirits. <laughs> I don't know. I'm rambling. <laughs> But there's- no, I think that's a really good thing to bring up because I have that photo shoot fill of the week where I talk about like a fucked up photographer like on every episode. And I think maybe a lot of people perceive that photographers who shoot models are all creeps, but but they're not. They're the funnier, more interesting stories to listen to because nobody wants to hear that you went to a photo shoot, you did the photos and everything was fine. That's boring. But it is true. There are a lot of photographers that'll hire me every time I go to their town and they genuinely just want to like have a good photo experience with you and you get to know them a little bit and it is sad when they pass away and it's happened a lot more recently especially with COVID and everything but but there are a lot of photographers where I was like oh even if they didn't take the greatest photos I liked working with them and I feel I feel bad as if I'm missing out or I didn't get to say goodbye when I see the Facebook post that they passed away. I know it. Right. And yeah. And I, and you know, it's interesting. This may seem like a strange thing to say, but I think that coming from being really religious, like having a religious background, it's, I've always been curious about what is there in the afterlife. This is maybe too deep, but like what's there and like, will I see that person again? That type of like profound type of thinking that comes along with that. I'm like, and especially since COVID and stuff like losing my grandmother, losing a friend and not hit and run. I think that just things have been put into perspective since we've lost people during this time. And yeah, it's just, it's a strange time. I think the past three years have been very strange. Yeah. It makes you value being alive more. Yeah, absolutely. I was exceptionally sad when I heard that Mike Bean passed away. And I think that I might have tagged you on Facebook Mike or something. Bean. You didn't even know. Oh, my word. Wait, the group photo shoots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He recently passed, uh, I think, about six or eight months ago. Wow. I'm so out of touch. I'm so ha- sad to hear that. Like, wow. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. was just thinking about him, too. Oh, I'm sorry to have just no spilled the beans on the podcast about that. I thought you knew. No, it's okay. You know, I was thinking about him too. And you know, so I feel like you feel that itch sometimes, like, you know, something is about to happen too. So it just seemed like, you know, it may have happened soon. Oh, it's just so weird. Gosh, I'm so sorry for that, for his family. Of all the event organizers, you know, you and I have gone to a lot of events and there seems to be a lot of controversy about certain event organizers, but he was the one that like, he was just so like kind and lovable and had the model's best interests in mind. So RIP, Mike Bean, we all loved you. Yes, absolutely. Just like so huggable. What a beautiful person. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he really... I I think one thing that I really liked about him was that he was authentic and he wasn't trying to hide what he was doing with his group shoots. And he did group family photo events and the nude ones. And he was just all about it. Right. And, you know, it felt like a family when we were there. Like everybody, it was like, you know, sort of a boys club, but 
everybody knew each other. Like everybody had been working together for so long that it just, it felt familial. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. And Jim Shibley, I'd heard about him passing too. Mm -hmm. That was a few years back. Chalk Seller. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh my gosh. I'm so out of touch. Wow. He was in his 90s and he passed, I think, a year ago or something like that. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It really feels like family's passing. Really does. I don't think I, yeah, yeah, I don't think I'd see the day. You know, you, you, especially with us starting out in what, 2000, I'm not sure when you started out, but I think it was 2009 for me. You really don't think that you're never going to see these people again. It's very, very odd. Oh, not to be too morose or sad. We should probably talk about something happier. Okay, sure. <laughs> I think it adds depth to the podcast, but I mean, because it is sad. And it's, I think it's uncommon for freelance models overall to be doing it as long as you and I have been doing it. It's not common. I've given like introductory advice to a lot of aspiring models over the past few years. And I would say that like less than 1% of people will actually do it and do it more than a year. So the amount of people that want to get into it, that make it a lasting career is very, very small. It's a really small community. If you like think about how many people are like on the Facebook groups and people that you see putting travel notices on Model Mayhem, it's not that many people. Right. And you know, there's such a like, I think that with other modeling, there's such a shelf life, but with like nude modeling or art modeling, there really isn't a, uh, a shelf life so much. So it's like, there's a little more longevity to it, which is sort of nice, you know, expression and creativity never really stops. But I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm appreciative of, of that. Like, I feel like I could step into it again if I wanted to and, and start working with people again. You're trying to bring me out of retirement. Look at this is like a little <laughs> therapy session, isn't it? No. <laughs> I, I think that even if you're taking self-portraits, though, you're still modeling. You don't have to be modeling for photographers who are hiring you to be considered a model, in my opinion, because I've had to redefine it for myself, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just you know, I don't feel like creatives ever feel like they want to stop working. And I feel like you're dying inside if you're not creating in a way. So it's yeah. good to it's good to keep those juices going and yeah I'm enjoying life though like listening to whatever's right at the moment so I'm f- sort of like getting adjusted to the environment I'm in, I'm in now in a new house like looking at the light I'm always like judging where the light's going during different times of the day and stuff and I'm literally telling my husband I'm like oh my god look at the light right now and he's like what are you even talking about. <laughs> Like just look, look at how the shadows are coming in. Look at the look at how the blinds are are right now. So yeah, I'm I'm constantly adjusting things for when the time is right. I still haven't really shot too much in here. Maybe one shoot. But yeah, it's always there. It's like a simmering. Creativity is simmering. <laughs> I like that. It kind of defines how to you as a creative person, the light is like your medium. And the natural light is like your medium because it sounds like you're not like focusing a lot on artificial light. You like seeing the light coming through the window and how it's falling in different places. Yeah. I feel like light gives you a certain mood. Like I'm in a certain mood if I don't have light in the house 
And it gives you, I don't know, it gives me memories too. It's sort of like how when you smell something, you remember something. There's been times during the day, I'll look at a certain type of light. And I'm like, oh, that reminds me of a time when I was a kid. It's very bizarre. Maybe I'm just connected and my brain's like tapping in <laughs> to that light or something. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask you another question that I ask everybody on the podcast. It's called the rising Phoenix era of your life. Have you ever been faced with a challenge that you needed to overcome or perhaps an insecurity or like a change in your life that caused you to need to overcome it? Hmm. Do you mean modeling wise? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to your modeling. Okay. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. You know, I would say like what, even though I think of different things, what stands out the most is just like accepting myself as a creative person and that I'm not going, I can't be fit in, fitting into a box like, like normal people. Do you know what I mean? Like for a long time, my life was defined for me and laid out in a way like, oh, this is, this is how to be happy. This is how to like you, you pay these bills, you do this, you pay your taxes, you do these things and you're fine. But I'm like, I'm the most scattered person. I don't work well in a box. I need to be able to do things as they come and just be, I don't know. I, <laughs> and I mean specifically in terms of the religion, because I think there's a formula that works for people and resonates with them. And it never resonated with me in that into everyday life trying to be like everybody else has made me the most miserable. And I realized that just defining my life as it comes, as things feel right, has been the, uh, the thing that works best for me. I don't know how to put it into words. Basically stop trying to be what works for everybody else. There's no guidebook. There's no cliff notes for life. And don't let anybody define who you need to be, what's going to make you happy fully agree with that. And it does cross over into modeling because people want to depict you in a way that necessarily isn't how you want to be depicted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the, the lifestyle in general, I totally align with that. Makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it did. I do uh, run off on a tangent though. <laughs> As I am sort of finding the answers as I talk <laughs> and like, and it helps me. It's sort of like that. What do they call it? Stream of consciousness. Yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense it. the way that you described it. I, I feel like I have a lot in common with that as a person who was also raised in like a traditional family. There was a pressure to pick a career in college, get married in your twenties, have kids, and then work at that career job until you retire and buy a house and have a wedding and do all that stuff. And I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're happier for it. I mean, gosh, the formula, if it worked for everybody, everybody would be doing it. And if everybody just wanted to make money and that was like, you know, the thing to do, everybody would be a doctor and who, where would the creatives be? Why on earth yeah. would you think that, or why would the people who think you should be in that mold why would they think that it would work for you just to be what works for everybody else? It just makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah. I think that's just like the idolized way that everybody feels like you're supposed to do it. And then because humans are pack animals, 
we judge each other for not doing the stereotypical thing like oh you're doing something different and you're actually happy or you're like you're taking a huge risk that I would never take like I'm going to give you my opinion on that right. I think it makes people you know? afraid because they'd rather be doing what they want to you know it's like if only I think they see the the time being lost because they felt like they needed to follow the formula and they're like oh look at this person they're actually doing the things their heart's telling them to do and they're happier for it and I've lost the time yeah. that I could have done those things too I don't know. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. <laughs> I mean, if you're being the target of other people's judgment, I don't think that it's like being judgmental on them. I think you're just kind of reacting to how other people have pressured you into trying to be right. normal. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, and we need all the people. We need the weirdos. Yeah. We need the normies. We need the doctors. We need the the uh, nude models. <laughs> we all make the world go round. We do contribute to society in our own way. And I, I think that having nude photos on the internet, you know, if it's, if it's porn, it's like serving a purpose. But if it's like artistic nude photos, yeah. it's serving another purpose. We're just being right. aesthetically pleasing. Why aren't we like considered like the Roman statues of today? <laughs> like, right. There's nudity yeah. everywhere in Italy, all the paintings and depictions and things. Like, we're just, we're, we're just like the modern day depictions. I would say, I do have to say. <laughs> Agreed. And I, I've seen comparisons of, on social media where they have a meme of a statue <laughs> taking a selfie and stuff, stuff like that. But people do appreciate our photos, but then they turn around and they see that we're like trying to advertise work or trying to advertise our Patreon or OnlyFans. They're like, oh, look at you. I'm trying to like make money outside of the regular nine to five. And Right. I mean... Artists and singers and instrumentalists always had patrons, you know, hundreds of years ago, too. So it's no different from how it used to be back then. And I think monetizing, yeah, I think that social media, I think that it's sort of spoiled things in a way. And I think people are okay when you can brush something under the carpet, but when it comes to nudity. But I think now that it's so blatantly in your face, it's hard to ignore. And so for the... The, especially the companies that monetize themselves uh, are backed by banks and things like they're so puritanical that it's, I think that they allow it. They know it goes on and everything. And so long as they can make money off of it, they're fine with it existing in terms of nudity. But yeah, they're like, oh, we got to make sure that we're protecting the eyes of the innocence of the children and everything. They're like, okay. Meanwhile, we don't know what they've got going on below the surface. So yeah, they're going to let us, do what we do what we do so long as they can monetize it though whatever they can make money off of yeah and then honestly when it comes to artistic nudity i don't think that that's harmful for kids to see in fact i think it's normal <laughs> right i know like i feel like i'm living in the middle ages and i i just think it's strange that i live in a time where it's shameful breasts are shameful or anything is shameful well not anything there are some things that are just like what the fuck on the internet yeah but <laughs> <laughs> but breasts are not two of the things or more, you know, whatever. And yeah, it's just, they've become, it's like, how is that worse than profanity or what else is going on in the world? I just, I, I can't yeah. wrap my head around it, but you know, I think, I think things will change. We never know. We never know. I think maybe I have this theory that like everybody likes boobs. 
right? Can I think we can agree that like nobody doesn't like boobs. The people who like them extra a lot feel guilty about how much they like boobs, and they're often the ones that are writing the laws. Right? So like, oh, I feel guilty for liking these because of my religious upbringing. Right. Bring that back full circle. So I'm going to make it a law that nobody else gets to look at these on the yeah. internet because because I feel guilty. Yeah, exactly. It's a shame thing. <laughs> I believe. I think I could agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Deep thoughts. (laughs) Right. My brain's always there. It's good to connect with somebody who's there on the same wavelength too. Yeah. (laughs) Overanalyzing. Well, we should get you to come up and visit where we're staying sometime when we're here in South Utah. I'd love to take pictures of you out here in the nature. Oh my gosh. I've heard so many good things. You know, I've never been out there either. I'd like to come out. Yeah, I know. How weird is that? You know, for a traveling model, I sure haven't, it's like I've traveled, but I haven't traveled, traveled. Like I hadn't been out of the U.S. until Mexico, until moving here. Like I moved here the second trip I took out here and I hadn't been out of the U.S. yet. (laughs) So I'm like a all in or not like all or nothing type of person. So this upcoming year, like I'm going to be traveling, like on my own terms, you know, not having to stay with a photographer, but definitely the, I'd like to do the creative aspect. So visiting with you, shooting, and then also going to Italy, you know, using some of the language skills I've started to have from learning Italian and just sort of living life and enjoying things again in the, in traveling on my own terms, like I said, like not having to, uh, wake up at a certain time, just being able to go and freaking gorge on whatever I want food wise and street foods and all the things consuming, <laughs> just consuming. That's awesome. Yeah. What parts of Italy yeah. are you going to go to? I'm not sure yet. I was going to take a cruise. I was thinking of doing that and I would have went to Rome and well, the cruise would have went to uh, where, no, where does it come from? I think it goes out of Rome and then went through Greece and different parts of Italy, Venice. Well, there's different ones, different one, but I'm just like super interested in eating a whole freaking lot. I just want to try to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just the life. That's I'm summing it up. Like I've realized that life is about traveling, eating, and meeting people. That's awesome. And that's where joy. Comes. Yeah. Did you work with Roberto Manetta? Oh, yes, I did. He lives in Rome. That's right. You know, I'm going to have to contact him and be like, hey, you got free lodging? (laughs) Maybe I can work that out. No, He's super nice. I really like him. Oh, he's so nice. And so is his wife. She does really good makeup and like like helps with the, what's it called? The costuming and stuff, the outfits. She's so nice. They're both really sweet. It's funny, you know, because they're, I don't know if it's a European thing. I don't know if maybe they're just super open-minded and everything, but we were shooting at Black's Beach at the nude beach in San Diego. And, uh, you know, you have to still, I sort of try to still be a little bit, not conservative, but just like, and just acknowledge people there if they have kids or whatever. Right. But they're just like, whatever. They had me shooting in the non-nude parts and they're just like, yeah, you know, just, just do whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Not even thinking about the fact that it's the, like the non-nude portion of the beach. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love them. They're just like <laughs> so open, <laughs> open-minded and just super free. Yeah, they seem really cool. 
Yeah, yeah, they are cool. They, I think that you worked with them, and then they drove over to uh, Joshua Tree because I was there, and then we collaborated, and they so showed me something that you made where they photographed you laying in the water with like a long red fabric. Yeah, that was super cool. You know, I have a funny little story about that place too. Well, we were there shooting in the water. And then you like to get out of there, you have to walk up this little cliff. I don't know if you remember, but like, oh, yeah. not the not the big part, but like you had to walk up this little cliff and then you could see down at, as you can see down into the water. And I was looking at where I had been shooting. Like I was in the water. Um, I'm looking down and I look and I'm like, I see like five stingray. <gasps> and I was like, what the frick? And I realized I had been shooting right there. <laughs> and I'm, like, what the, f you know, like the water's too warm. They, Stingray love that water. So that could have been really bad. Oh my gosh. People get stung there all the time too, by accidentally stepping on them and stuff. I know. And my dad, I grew up fishing and my dad was also a fisherman. And so like, I remember him coming home one day from his little boat and he'd had like a, a stingray sting on his hand and his hand was so swollen. It was unbelievable. And ever since I've been afraid of the ocean, <laughs> but I have to be close to it. Like I'm, I'm a SoCal girl. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So cool. We'll, we'll chat on IG about like potentially like having you come to South Utah if, if you want to do that, because I found all these cool locations out here and I want people to come and visit me at them. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Definitely let me know. Cool. Especially when it gets warmer. Oh, I'm so sick of this cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is it cold down there right now? <laughs> it's freaking cold. You know, before I moved to here to Mexico, I didn't realize that Baja, California, like upper Baja, northern, is considered a cold area. Like it's nice in summer. It's like 73. But any freaking other time, it's going to be raining and it's going to be cold as shit in your house because they build everything with concrete. So oh. you're going to be cold. You, you got to walk around with, with slippers on and, and a robe and stuff. So... Yeah, I learned the hard way. <laughs> it's around 80 here where I'm at, Fahrenheit. It's nice. It's like, yeah, it's saying it's 68 right now. Okay. It's not wrong. I feel it. It's too cold. <laughs> well, gee, Amelia, it's been really great catching up with you. We're getting close to the amount of time that I usually do these podcasts for. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we go? No, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. It's been it's been so good to catch up. I needed this, you know. I I felt like a little disconnected from the community and just really out of touch. So thank you for reconnecting with yeah, me. Yeah, it was good to talk to you. I've known you since I think like 2013 or something like that. It, I think Mike Bean shoots is where we must have met back in the day. It was 2012. 2012. I remember. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Eleven years. <laughs> Is that 11 years? Oh, I'm freaking out. Uh, yeah, it's 2023 <laughs> now. So like maybe 12 years. Man, don't age me. I don't want to think about it. 2012. <laughs> Sorry, that's 11. My math is terrible. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you, my dear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was great chatting with you. And for anybody that's listening, I'm going to put links to Amelia's social media and if you want to buy some clothes, maybe I'll put your shopping link on here also. 
Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, talk to you later. Bye.